It is episode 15 of Read This Fucking Book, and we are back after a long hiatus. Hello, I'm Rachel. I'm Elena. Before we start our discussion tonight, I want to catch up. What have you been up to? Well, um, in the last couple months, actually, uh, been kind of a busy time for bookish things. Um, I went to a author reading in Austin right before I moved back uh, to East Texas and got to see Anne Leckie, who uh, we are big fans of. Um, I totally dressed up in my translator Z at cosplay and she loved it. And I was a total, like total fangirl moment. It was so great. That's so, that's so badass. And you were the only one there in cosplay, I'm sure. Like, Yes, um, absolutely. <laughs> and um, I don't think, ever, like, at first, I don't think people realized what it was. Because um, I had just someone say, like, oh, member. That's, a, that's a really cool outfit. <laughs> and, you know, not, like, ask. And then finally one of the store employees asked, is like, are, are you dressed up like one of the characters? And I was like, why, yes, I am. And they were like, can, uh, can would you mind, yeah. like, taking a picture with her for our store blog? And I was like, only if you take one with my camera, too. <laughs> So, yeah, right. No, um, much to the relief of everyone there. It's like, yes, I am. I'm dressed in a costume. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, no. like, I'm, I realize this is slightly an awkward fashion. There's a point to this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that was a, that was really cool to, uh, to see her, um, get to do a, a reading on the new book and, um, answer some questions. And she definitely talked a lot about, uh, the translators just as characters and kind of how she conceived them and enjoyed playing with with them, um, which was really cool for me because obviously those were characters that we had latched onto and especially enjoyed um, as well. Yeah. And um, then for Halloween, um, me and the kiddo dressed up um, as Harry Potter uh, characters. I went as Nymphadora Tonks and he was my owl. So it was... Um, a fun bookie Halloween too. Yeah, I didn't do book stuff for Halloween. I suck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I did also meet Anne Leckie. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? We're the same. Uh, yeah. So the, the, on the same tour that you saw her at, she came to New York Comic Con um, a week or so later, and I didn't get to meet her in my in my translator costume because I was dressed up from something else when I met her, which is you know whatever. But uh, and I didn't goes. get a picture. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't get a picture because I met her in the autographing area where there were no pictures allowed, which was another big bummer. But I did mention that, you know, my friend had just met her in Austin and she was like, oh my God, is your friend the one that dressed up like Zia? And I was like, yes, yes, she is. She's like, she had a picture of another person dressed up like Delika. And I was like, that was me. <laughs> so that was, that was cool. Um, and she signed my book. So we have, we both have provenance now. And yeah, that, that was like the best <laughs> she was really smart. I went to, she had a panel later that day um, with N.K. Jemison, who's another fantastic author. And they were just so smart. It was just really great to kind of see them hold court for like an hour and just like mm-hmm. blast us with how smart and like thoughtful and creative that they both are. It was a really, really great panel. Oh, um, I can imagine that was a good uh, panel with N.K. Jemison because she's another one who is very, like, consciously subverting some of the, quote, standard tropes with fantasy and science fiction and um, just puts a lot of thought into what she does. I haven't read a lot of her work. I think I read her original trilogy and then sort of mm-hmm. lost track of, of what came out um, after that. But the original trilogy, I remember just being really different and imaginative and and unique so i i'm jealous yeah she she did she let slip that she was working on something now that basically every borough of new york was going to be like an entity of some kind like you know and and she was talking about like how she was going to like characterize them and she made a couple jokes about staten island and like it was pretty good um i'm excited about that book uh but 
uh, to, to kind of steer us to the book we read for this episode, um, another panel that I went to at New York Comic Con was my friend Yassel's Fashioning Fiction panel. Um, and it had Melissa Gray, Wendy Zhu, Danielle Page, Cameron Stewart, Victoria Schwab, and Ashley Poston on it. And it was really great, uh, just wonderfully moderated. I mean, it's my friend that moderated it, but she did such a good job of like of of positioning everyone in fashion and like giving us the the visual cues and the history of fashion that we as an audience needed to have this discussion with people mm-hmm. who were building fantasy and comic books and stuff with with that kind of stuff and uh the author melissa gray is who we've read her book for this episode um so it's the girl at midnight and uh we know melissa as well uh it's how i i mean i read her book because she's my friend and i you know was i guess i felt obligated but her book's actually really really good and i'm excited to share it with you um and the girl at midnight is the first uh novel that she ever wrote the trilogy is complete now but this one came out in 2015 and it has kind of like another like it's one of those anime squad feel books that I like uh, and that I keep recommending. And she <laughs> sets herself apart by a liberal use of humor and sarcasm. And she has she kind of puts in fun references uh, that are nice. Um, but yeah, so tell me, Elena, what the heck is The Girl at Midnight about? All right. So The Girl at Midnight is about a teenager named Echo. She is human and she ran away from home as a child and got adopted into this clan of humanoid fantasy creatures um, called the Avacyn. They're sort of part bird, part human. And their nest, their primary like stronghold is New York City. And she is somewhat accepted as part of the Avacyn clan, but definitely on the fringe of it and definitely kind of pushes her position to be even fringier by being kind of a rebel and like, well, I'm going to be a thief instead of an upstanding, you know, Avison career girl. And so, um, her kind of sponsor slash mentor slash mom figure is the Allah who is on like basically the ruling council for the Avison. So a very powerful figure. Um, and the Allah gives her, um, a map and says, you know, this supposedly leads to the Firebird or clues about the Firebird, which is this mythical being that has the power to end the war between the Abyssin and the Dracarum. Uh, Dracarum, how are we saying it? Yep, Dracarum. Okay, yeah, uh, which are the dragon people that um, are, you know, the kind of race that they're in conflict with, rivals with, whatever. And so Echo follows the map and she finds at the end of it, another map and an artifact that (laughs) she very clearly like has some spiritual affinity to. And the dragon prince of the Drakaran, who is also uh, looking for the firebird and things get complicated from there. So it's, yeah, you know, I'm not going to lead you astray. I've got sexy bird people. I've got some sexy <laughs> dragon people. And we've got a main character with a mouth. I mean, I figure it's a safe recommendation for you that you would like it. Tell me I'm right. Yes. And, and I did. Um, I, um, and, and just for the record, I, I do not know uh, Melissa. Um, and so for me, this, there was no you know friend affiliation here. This was just Rachel's recommendation. And I thoroughly enjoyed the book which as we know I sometimes struggle with the YA new adult you know um genre for various reasons but this one was definitely well chosen for for me in terms of like tone and um where the story went and I I really really enjoyed it yeah I'm so glad Because this is like, I don't, I mean, it's really sad for me because now, because the way I am with authors is they're my rock stars. And so now when I see my friend, I'm just like, no, I, I'm not worthy. Go, go get away from Aww. me. <laughs> <laughs> I get over it. But, you know, for first I'm like, oh no, she, she wrote The Girl at Midnight and I love those books. <laughs> but she's. No, she's really funny, and she manages to write a story that's just as funny uh, and kind of irreverent as she is, uh, and I was I really enjoyed it. Um, it's another book that's kind of in our we've kind of I don't I want to say we're stuck in a fairy tale rut, but we are thoroughly exploring the fairy tale 
uh, genre. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so this one is, you know, more of that. It's this is has elements from the Firebird. Um, and I can't remember. I went. I was at uh, her her kind of book signing when the when the books came out, and she was talking about the Allah. And I can't remember. She she said that the Allah is actually a figure in fairy tales. Yeah, was wasn't it something wanna... though non-standard like Persian or Turkish or something like yeah, that? Yeah, and I want to say that it's also I I, I can't, for some reason I feel like it came up when they were talking about Baba Yaga. Maybe she was talking about the kinds of characters that she was drawing from when she thought about the Allah because yes, the Allah is her like mother figure, but she's also mm-hmm. kind of scary. She's like like a like a you know all of the all of the Avicen kind of have an, a bird aspect, right? Like mm-hmm. um, the Allah is a raven, so she's she's you know a little creepier than than say someone who's like an owl or a peacock. Uh, in right jasper and the and the Allah herself like if i'm not mistaken the Allah is a title rather than her name um and right but she doesn't have a name anymore she's the Allah. right because she's just the Allah. but you know but that title yeah. also within avison within the avison community like it kind of connotes like almost like mysticism or like that mm-hmm. um sort of this is this is the person of like wisdom who's maybe connected to like the beyond or like seeing things that the rest of us don't see as opposed to like a more straightforward like war leader or you know a diplomat or something like that like so she's also kind of in addition to being a raven like her position in the society like the role she plays is a little more like esoteric and creepy yeah but i like that she she's a collector right like not only does she collect information and magic and power but she collects people and you mm-hmm. know her 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 picking up echo when echo is kind of a runaway child is one of the things that she collects right and and so you she's just like this monster that that echo encounters when she's at the new york public library when she's a little kid and she's like, oh, you're an orphan. And not like, hey, let's find you your people. But like, hey, let's take you into the depths of the New York City subways. And you could become one of us, one of these monsters. And I mean, they're like sexy, beautiful monsters. But they're still <laughs> monsters, right? Like they live they live in the subway. Like if you live down there, you got to be pretty scary. <laughs> like, yes, I, I, have, I don't live in New York, but I've spent <laughs> a week riding the subways. And I can co-sign that completely. Like... Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So Echo grows up there. And obviously she's, you know, she's our reluctant, uh, sarcastic. I love how sarcastic she is, hero. Uh, but, yeah, I, I like that she starts out as an outsider. She's a runaway. So she's chosen to be an outsider. But she's still an outsider, right? Like the Allah loves mm-hmm. her and accepts her. And she has a couple friends in the Avacyn. But she still doesn't live with them, right? Like she has her own little apartment still in the in the public library. And she has a lot of animosity with a few of the characters and they kind of don't want her around and she sticks out like humans Mm -hmm. don't generally hang out with all these magical people unless they're warlocks. Right. Right. (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I really like the way that she did the, the work of, of world building. Like, you know, like I said, I entered this by saying like, you know, she was on this panel about fashion and it's weird that I, because I've been noticing more and more, and I have this rant, and if you listen to Fire and Lunch, the Game of Thrones podcast that I'm on, the I have this rant about clothes, right? Like, like clothes are world building. Fashion is world building. Mm-hmm. The art and the technology that the characters use is world building. So it was mm-hmm. really great to see this, this fashion panel about how fashion and clothing are used to not only characterize, you know, your characters, but also the, the cultures that they come from and the world that they live in and their jobs. And I just accept that now that that's a thing that has to happen. And if somebody doesn't do the work of mm-hmm. just that kind of world building, then I'm like, well, what, well, this is laziness. This isn't real world building. And I think that there's a nice, not a shortcut, but it's nice to put these people in a world they live now, right? Like it's supposed to be like, if I go down into the tunnels in Grand Central Station, <laughs> I might find the Avacyn Lair, right? I mean, I won't right. because I'm a shitty human. But yet they wear robes, right? Like they have armor. 
like all of these things set them apart. It seems realistic because mm-hmm. Echo's running around in a leather jacket and jeans, but she's also interacting without blinking with people who are in who are feathered and almost not medieval, but you know, there's there's that fantasy, yeah. I you know, clothing style. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's there's kind of two different elements to the 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 practicality of their fashion. There's the like what the Avacyn wear when it's just the Avacyn world, which is going to be obviously different from the you know the human world. But then also they have to wear clothing if they're topside amongst the humans that don't right. give away like their identity or their their race. So they or species, I guess it wouldn't be a race; it would be a species. Um, so they have, you know, they have to wear like things that hide their feathers and, you know, that um, cover as much of their face as possible. Like, you know, lots of hoods and lots of oversized sunglasses and hats and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, so even like they're when they're wearing kind of like human clothes, it's, it's, you know, similar to like the wizards trying to pass as muggles. Like they, they don't quite know how to do it. And then they have to make all these concessions to like their physical form you know, to, to hide what they are from a casual, like, human observer. Yeah, and so I that... think that's exciting for me because, like, I, you know, it's set here in New York. She goes to places that are real. The the library is real. The mm-hmm. the um, the entrance to the Avacyn kind of magical um, market is real. Uh, there is a restaurant behind a – there was a bar behind a, a hot dog restaurant in the village – where you, you know, you go into a phone booth and you pick up the receiver and you say a secret code and then the wall opens and you go into the secret. I mean, it's not, you know, it's, it's not right. quite the way that she has it, but it's, it's good. And, you know, it's, it's basically the same. You go to Crip Dogs, there's a, you know, you have to make a reservation or you'll never get in, but it's, you know, it's fun. And these places exist. So it's like if I'm in a coffee shop and I look over and I see like a couple teenagers in the corner and they've got like hoodies and hats and like long gloves. It's like, okay, it's mm-hmm. yes, New York. Everyone's cool. and Everyone's too cool, but they could also be secret Avacyn, you know? And that's just like fun. Exciting. It's fun when it takes over your brain and yeah, it's yeah. in that kind of way where you're like, Ooh, <laughs> but that's the exciting thing. I, I, I think about like urban fantasy, which I guess this falls under, that you you know it's it's the disney world exists right it exists around Mm -hmm. you you just have to cant your head a certain way and see through the veil you know yeah and and once you kind of put that that lens on it's hard to take off like i've actually um i've had that experience reading a different urban fantasy book which like urban fantasy is not really my wheelhouse because i find a lot of it to sort of be in like the true blood vein where it's like basically our world with like these others and then when you really start poking at it like the logic starts falling through and it just gets like it's like you don't you just don't look too closely at it but then every now and then like you find one mm-hmm. that they really thought it through and it just like literally makes you look at your own world differently and like this had um the the series that first did that to me was the Matthew Swift series by Kate Griffin, which I probably will make you read one of at some point. Um, Mm -hmm. But this, this kind of did the same thing. I mean, probably much more strongly for you since you actually like live in New York, you know, I can get an echo, an echo (laughs) of it Um, since I have visited, (laughs) you know, and and I'm familiar enough with the city to sort of like picture this and like picture myself there and like, you know, having that experience. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's the same sort of thing where like, it's, it's our world, but like twisted just just enough to to be different, but not so yeah. much that you don't like see those elements, and then you're just like, ooh, ooh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, and it's almost it could even be harder. I I mean I've never I've never tried to write you know an urban fantasy anything, so it's like I don't know. It must be harder because you are now restricted by the rules of reality and anything that doesn't automatically fit Mm -hmm. in reality, you have to explain. Whereas if it's in fantasy, you know, if it's, if you've created the world from the ground up, if something's a little off kilter, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, well, that's just the way it is, right? You don't have to explain every little thing. Um, When the second book came out, I remember I was walking around New York with Melissa and we went to some of the the locations because they go all over in these books, but you know it's mostly New York. There's some they're in Scotland a little bit, some you know Japan, like they you know and they, a little some cities in Europe. They just go around, but it's mostly in New York. And I remember like you know in this book, there's a big 
fight scene in the the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And like we went <laughs> down it. She's like, okay, this is where it happens. And it was like really exciting to be like, this is it. This is where it happens. <laughs> this is the room where it happens. <laughs> um, yeah. And it was just, it was just like exciting. Like I, and I think about there are other books that take place in New York and, you know, I, I've been on those kind of self-guided tours where you're like, this is where mm-hmm. this character, you know, lived. And this is the building that's supposed to be this building in this book. So it was, it's nice. Um, but I, I, before we move on to characters, I do want to talk about the Drakaran. So we've talked about the, the Avacyn, the bird people that live in the, in the secret tunnels underneath New York. Uh, in contrast to them are the Drakaran, who are the, the dragon guys, the sexy dragon people. And mm. they they don't hide right like they don't live amongst humans they're completely separate from humans they have kind of a stronghold somewhere in scotland um they have magical like you know spells around where they live that keep humans away and they Mm -hmm. don't mix the way that the avacyn do and so their fashion's completely different right like they don't they don't need to hide themselves so they have like much cooler outfits right i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah these these are the guys that are like stepping full out of like the sca you know practice and like their armor and you know hot sweaty nightly like dragon knight gear with swords and mm-hmm. fancy weapons, weapons on display like yeah rank based you know they they live in these these kind of castles the it's not it's not as much of a family or a warren or a a nest of people right there seems to be like very clear class structures um people mm-hmm. have jobs it doesn't seem like a lot of people i mean like i know ivy has a job but we don't see a lot of people with jobs in in the avison culture like there's it's like more like caretaking and not like i'm a farmer or i'm a soldier i mean i don't know i mean I, there yeah. are soldiers because they're at war with the drug RN, but i feel like it's a lot more rigid in the drug RN. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the 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 Drakaran has a much more like sort of classic feudalistic um, structure to it, where you know there's the prince and then there's his knights, and um, you know it goes yeah. like down from there in terms of importance. And it it is it, it seems a much more like rigid society, and that's it, it's kind of one of the contra distinctions made between the Avacyn and the Drakaran is that like the Avacyn seem like they, you know we're much I mean as rigid as they are they're more open to like change and to sort of adapting to like the changing world around them because like they're I mean they're kind of within it I mean they might be separate to some extent yeah. they might be hiding but they're still firmly placed within it whereas the Jakaran have their own like you know island off of Scotland and they really don't have to answer to anybody except themselves and so they're like they're almost like this like out of time society where like it just never really changes like brigadoon or something (laughs) right or or like you know we kind of make fun of game of thrones and how like the fashion's been the same for like the last three centuries like why is that you know like well the the dracarans seem to be the same uh sort of thing where you know when you don't have the outside influences you tend to do more of the same instead of changing and like allowing um for change to happen like i don't know i think it's one of the uh one of my criticisms of of current cultures people act like memes are a new thing or like you know we haven't done it before but if you actually look at like art and fashion and like every cultural as like remnant of past human societies like that's all we do is we like see cool shit that other people like are doing and then we bring it in and do our own like spin on it and like make it ours and add it to like the other stuff we've encountered so like everybody's stuff is a little bit different but like that's how societies like change and evolve and so when you're completely like insular you don't have you don't have that and it's really kind of sad (laughs) yeah and and it becomes i i I think this is a good place to be because like the the structure of the drakaran like the avacyn makes sense to me right like they have the Allah, they have a ruling council they have the people who seem to be interested in like internal affairs and they have people who are interested in the external affairs and the defense of them and like making sure that not only the humans don't find them but that the drakaran don't find them but then the drakaran are just like extremely militaristic 
mm-hmm. and yet they don't you're right they don't they hold themselves apart so they haven't really changed they don't adapt all that well and their prince one of the cool things that she put in there is that that when the prince ascends to prince which apparently they're elected right like it's not it doesn't it's it's almost hereditary but it's like between the pool of hereditary people they get elected and it's based on strength and might but they're not really, I mean, they've been in this weird war, so it's not like they've been having, like, all-out battles. So how do they pick who's, strong, you know, the strongest? Mm-hmm. So it seems to also be about charisma. And when they become the prince, they lose their other identity. Like, they are secret. So to me, it's like, okay, if you were elected, how are you also anonymous? <laughs> um <laughs> So I wonder how that elect. That's one of the things I'm like. Well, how does the election happen? Is it really just like the will of the people is manifest, and it's like kind of this magical like mantle that like settles on someone, and it's like, oh, I'm I'm the I'm the one in charge. Suddenly, I have all the power, or is there really like a ballot box where people are like, ah, the pretty one or the short one, or like, yeah. I, well, I mean, these I, are things I don't know. I don't know. I, I kind of I kind of took the uh, the whole like secret name thing to almost be more like what um because i know like in jewish culture and i'm sure there are others that do this as well you have like the private name that's basically like known to your family and to god and then you have your public name and Mm -hmm. so i kind of took it to to be that almost where like he probably had like like you know caius obviously was his true name but he probably had a public name that he would have been known by before he became the prince the same way like tanith is probably not her true name like that's probably her public name um that you know she was known by before she becomes the prince um like that that was my interpretation of that but okay i don't know that that's it was cool. ever like, that makes sense blatantly discussed it just like i you know have a, a very dear friend who's of jewish heritage and so i know that she has like the private name public name thing okay yeah well because i you know obviously this is they do the she put this in there because oh wait caius you know, the conceit of the of the book is that she's working with Caius, but she doesn't know he's the prince. And it's like, well, how could you not know he's the prince? He, he's going right, by his yeah. real name. And I guess she didn't want to do the whole, well, here's his, he gave her a fake name thing. It was just interesting. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, well, instead of just like solving this is- issue by saying, well, here, he's going to give a false name. She let him have his real name. And therefore the reader has his, has his real name. But right. here's another cool piece of world building that gives you a hint into how their their society works. But yeah, I like that idea that that you know I, I mean that makes sense. Like Marie Antoinette did not go by Marie Antoinette. That was not her real name. I forget what her right. Antoine or something was like what she went by. Right. So yeah, there's this idea that there's a public name and a private name. That's cool. Um. So speaking of all of the characters, there's uh we're talking about Caius and uh Echo those are the main characters and then there's a a, a wonderful kind of X-Men level quality uh like <laughs> side characters yes um I'm just going to go through them really quick uh there's Ivy who is Echo's best friend uh and she's kind of, she's the healer uh she's a, the white Rowan. dove Avison which yeah she's yeah. she's a white dove <laughs> all i could think of is is Stevie Nicks um me too <laughs> <laughs> there's rowan who is her who is echo's avison kind of boyfriend um and he there's a little and i've read this book enough times now where i picked this up and i didn't pick it up at the first there's a throwaway line about how he has human ancestry uh really? so he's yeah he's like 95 percent avison so he has a little bit he's a little bit like more something about him is just a little bit more human than other avison um and then uh we have caius who's the prince uh the dracaran prince his loyal man his second in command dorian uh (laughs) jasper (laughs) is an avison uh kind of trickster character that echo knows through her thieving because she's kind of a professional thief uh that they that they team up with the Allah we mentioned. Tanith is Caius's uh, sister, twin sister, who is obviously in conflict with him for the Drakaran throne. Uh, and then there are a couple other characters. Rose is a character from the past that is an Avacyn that was involved with Caius. Um, and also the Allah knew her. Ruby is another Avacyn character that hates Echo and works with Rowan in their both like cadet 
like junior level aren't like people in the Avacyn army. And then there's the military leader for the Avacyn Altair, who seems to be previously romantically linked to the Allah. Uh, and also he is linked to Dorian because Dorian only has one eye and it's because Altair cut the other one out. It's all connected. Uh, obviously all of these people are going to be thrown together uh, in this, in this, tale of friendship and whoa uh who's your favorite there's only um, one correct answer <laughs> okay well b- before 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 i uh answer that question um i i we should point out uh if you haven't read the books that both the avicen and the Drakaran are long live long lived species so um like basically everybody but um the Echo's immediate contemporaries have been around for at least a century, maybe several centuries. So yeah. like the there's been peace for like what a hundred years or something, like this uneasy kind of Cold War truce between the Jakaran and Avicen. So even though like the Altair took the um the eye from Dorian, like that was a hundred years ago. Yeah, the, it was like the last ago. big battle. He's still so, mad about it though. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, they're, yeah, exactly. So like my, look, my ass was Sylvie Chap too. Like I get it. Um, so, um, as two favorite character, um, I mean, I, I think you're right that probably like the character that really pulls your heartstrings the most is Dorian. Um, because he is kind of like hopelessly in love with his best friend, Caius, and he's another so convert, loyal. a Dorian fan. And is just I don't know, kind of adorably like emo, and will never like say it. He's so proud and like so kind of like shy, and I don't know. He's just he's really he is a very relatable character. He's like he's got his head head on straight. He's like, well, I don't know if this is a good idea, but you're my prince, so I'll go along with he's it. So he's so vulnerable. Like, he's so vulnerable. Yeah. I love him. And I in our notes I put he's a bit of a Darcy. So, with everything that entails uh but you know his hair is always in his face and it's silver and he's blue eye the color of storm seas and you know he you can tell that he like stands up too straight and takes himself really seriously and you just really mm-hmm. want a character to start poking at him and you get that you get that almost immediately with jasper and it's like the my favorite thing ever like <laughs> yes because jasper huge, in like like fan yeah well because jasper like in contrast is this like super like flamboyant um avison who's like saucy and fashionable and like kind of arty and crazy and like over the top and um kind of like he has a heart of gold because he's always helping echo even though like he's like why am i even helping you you're terrible you're terrible human girl come on in (laughs) um but then he's getting her cookies right it's like what's he even helping her steal it's like nothing even it's like just like cookies right (laughs) um so you know he's somebody that um like acts acts one way but his or, or he presents himself one way, but his actions like say otherwise. And so, yeah, he's like the perfect foil to Dorian. Like he, you know, like it's like, oh, here, who is this guy? Oh, he, this is Dorian. He's like, well, Dorian's bleeding on my carpet, but he's cute. So you can come <laughs> in. It's just, <laughs> uh, it's the best. I, I, the ship is called uh, Jaspian. If you want to tattoo it on your face, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, if you're me. Jaspian uh, forever. Jaspian forever uh i just you know i don't know i'm just that person i'm that jerk who can never like attach themselves to the main characters in the story i have to attach myself myself to the you know the 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 funny the funny ones on the side just because like i'm shallow and i like everything to be a little bit more simple and (laughs) and full of comic relief and i mean echo and caius's relationship is a lot more complicated. Yeah, I mean, so many it's also, reasons. it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's satisfying, but it's really complicated. I mean, you know, when the story starts out, Echo has a boyfriend. He is a very nice boy. There's not really anything wrong with him. Like, you as a reader, all you know is that it's annoying to, to Ivy that her two friends have hooked, started hooking up, right? And right. she's become like a third wheel. But that's, 
that doesn't really I mean he you know he's really he listens like he's a he's a good boyfriend and I don't think mm-hmm. that he's presented in that good boyfriend light where they're also boring because he doesn't have that like Rowan is is actually interesting as well um, agreed yeah and I don't like know he's... if I consider this to be a love triangle yeah I don't I don't think it it counts because like it's established by the end of that book that she and Rowan are probably like over just because of what the circumstances are and she may not like it but it's kind of like that's that's done so it, it like it kind of I guess adds to the conflict uh initially like with her with her and Caius meeting and sort of like it's a roadblock but I mean by the end of the first book that's pretty much like swept away so yeah and I I like the fact that you know though Echo thinks of herself as an outsider and she lives as if she is an outsider and by all you know like we accept her as an outsider when she has to when she runs off right when she's separated from her family essentially from the avacyn and she's trying to find ivy and do, and go on this mission that the allah has sent her she has people that love her that are still that are still going to try to find her right like the allah is trying to find her and so is rowan mm-hmm. And so I think it makes it a little bit more complicated. She hasn't been cast out. She's not looking for acceptance from these Drakaran that she gets herself involved with. But, you know, Caius is just, he's just like a, you know, magnetic kind of guy. And she can't really seem to help herself in that, in that. But he, you know, he's not a jerk either. Well, he's got, other mo- he's clearly got other motives, but he's not a jerk. Yeah, no, I mean, I it, it definitely felt sort of like a, a mutual kind of gravity between the two of them. Like, he he wasn't any happier about it than she was, but he also, like, couldn't seem to, like, help himself. Like, uh, this is not going to be a professional relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, which brings us to Rose, right? It's revealed yes. that Rose Rose is kind of like Echo 1.0. Like, she also worked for the Allah. She was also sent on the same mission. And she just took the mission in a completely different way. Like, Echo's a thief, but Rose was a spy. And mm-hmm. so she entered into a relationship with Caius for all the wrong reasons, right? She's trying to get close to him. And ended up actually falling in love with him and then is found by uh, Tanith and murdered by being burned alive in her house uh, while Caius had to watch. Uh, Sucks. (laughs) Tanith sucks. (laughs) Um, But not just any fire, Tanith's fire, because everyone has a superpower and Tanith's is fire. Uh Caius's is the in-between, so he can make gateways a lot easier than other people. Dorian seems to have an affinity for water. It seems like the Drakaran have, like, more, like powers, whereas the Avacyn have, like, magic. Like, mm-hmm. They have, like, more magical just ability. Like, they don't, they're not shooting flames and stuff out of their hands like Tanith is. Oh, Tanith is so cool. Okay, so Tanith is like a younger, quippier, dark side Galadriel. Like... <laughs> That's a really good description of Tanith. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she's she's got like it's like armor, but fashion armor, <laughs> and like and like pretty but crazy eye and but she and she's got a lot of power and people seem to respect her and she was until her coup the you know this the right hand lady to her brother yeah she she did all the dirty work for him yeah and she fought his wars for him and did a lot of the work probably in her eyes and yeah he seems to go insane and abandon his post (laughs) Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think one of my favorite things about Tanith as a character and as the villain of or the you know antagonist of the story is 
that her like you see so clearly her perspective like she doesn't believe in the legend of the firebird and she sees her brother like basically being swindled by this avacyn spy and it's like i'm gonna break this spell that she's clearly cast on you like she thought she was protecting him when she killed the girl rose and you know now it's like well we've had this truce for a hundred years and our powers are getting weaker and they're getting stronger and you know you're not doing anything what the fuck is wrong with you brother and like you know, so it's, it's like they had a philosophical parting of the ways, but what she's doing is truly like with the best intentions for her people. And it's just, it's what she thinks is right. They're simply like looking at the situation and evaluating it differently. And um, so while it's easy to not like her because, you know, she's making life really hard for the characters that we're like identifying with and relating to and like rooting for. At the same time, you understand exactly where she's coming from, and you kind of can't hate her for it. No, I can't hate anyone who wears outfits that good. I just can't. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. I mean, you and me I, both, I but like, I'm, I'm going beyond <laughs> that. <Yeah. laughs> I know, but it's like evil queen territory. It's like, oh, and she's got a cape, a big long red cape. I mean, come on. You will love me and despair. <laughs> Yes. It's like, I will, Tanith. I will. Um, I mean, who else has got a cape? Just Ruby. Ruby has a cape, right? She has that black cape because she's... Oh, yeah. Okay. So the Avacyn do have powers because Ruby's power is like darkness. She can like Mm -hmm. cloak herself in darkness and like, you know, spy around. So, but Ruby has a cape. I like the characters with capes. Cool. They're cool. Look, man, capes need to make a comeback, and I, 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 I swear, do. I swear to God, Rachel, if I ever come visit you in New York and it's like it all cold, there will be a cape. Like we're just gonna not cape. gonna lie, no one will care. <laughs> it's New York, no one will care. We can, although maybe, maybe we should just go like skulk around the library or hang out at the Met and be like, what, dude? We could. I mean, if we're going to skulk around the library, we should totally have our feather capes. But that's not the, yes. that's not the thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like, <laughs> legit, this is just, like, wardrobe cape, you know? <laughs> but, I mean, go big or go home, right? <laughs> uh, so one of the things that we haven't talked about is the kind of, there, you know, there's there's a bunch of, like, you know, she's on the quest for a firebird. She doesn't know what that is. She doesn't even know what the firebird is or, you know, what she's looking for. But she's being, it's kind of like a, a little bit of a scavenger hunt. And she's teaming mm-hmm. up with these people who may or may not be who they say they are. Uh, two of them may or may not be starting to flirt heavily or at least get <laughs> flirted. Jas- okay, Jasper flirts with Dorian while Dorian, like, attempts to ignore him. That's what's happening. Yeah. Uh, and all of that's kind of happening and Ivy's been kidnapped and they're trying to get her. And I think one of the great things that they do, that she does kind of immediately is like when Ivy, when Ivy is first taken by, by Tanith, um, along with a couple other characters, it's Dorian that is their jailer. Right. And mm-hmm. he, there's like a scene where he like hits Ivy and kind of brutalizes her in a way. And it's like, Oh shit, Dorian's an asshole. <laughs> and <laughs> And so you kind of, like, hate him. It's like, you're pretty, but you suck. But then, like, you like Jasper, and you know that Jasper's a good guy, but Jasper also likes him. So that's a nice little character arc, some growth that Dorian gets to do. Because it's not just about him falling in love with Jasper, which obviously is happening, but it's about him becoming a better person, right? And you think that... I mean, they all become better in the end, but at least, you know, their character has an arc, is what I mean. But... Yeah, it's just but, nice yeah, but to I mean, Dorian, Dorian has so much like kind of rage and hatred for the Avacyn in general because of like what was done to him, you know, yeah. by an Avacyn on the battlefield, and like he kind of is willing to take that out on any Avacyn that crosses his path, and you know, it's um, I, I feel like this is a theme that has come up for us with a different book where it's it's the idea that once you start to kind of individuate like specific people you know where you're not looking at it as like a group but suddenly like this is an individual that you're confronted with it's much easier to to have empathy for an individual when you can like see their particular path and see you know what they think and what they feel and so he starts to have you know empathy at the very least for ivy and yeah um and that you 
it's a big step for him because you know before he was sort of like i hate them all let them all burn i don't care yeah well i mean it's a huge step to go from empathizing with ivy who is a person that you feel he feels guilt right because he he realizes later that that ivy is a sweet person like even though i've even like she still helps to heal him like she chooses Mm -hmm. she chooses to empathize with people and there are people like that you know it's like i refuse Mm -hmm. to judge everyone as a monolith like everyone's an individual and i am me and i'm going to be better you know by adhering to my beliefs and exactly. her beliefs happen to be that everyone deserves her help, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge step to go from there to be like, oh, you know, Avison might not be so bad, even though one of them took my eye, to, hey, I want to bone one, right? Like, that's <laughs> that's yep. the next, I mean, I don't know if that's the next logical step, but it's it's an interesting arc for Dorian to go from pining after his Dracaran prince, who is never going to reciprocate, uh, and hating Avison and that kind of being his identity to, mm-hmm. hey, I don't, you know, I can, I can be all of these things to my prince, but I can still like, it's not split loyalty, but it's like people are complicated, you know, and you don't yeah. have to give yourself that much. You can still have your own life. You can still yeah. have your own boyfriend. Um, like I can still have this piece that's just mine. Yeah. And I don't mean, I actually wasn't trying to make a pun a about like side pieces, but like I can have this like, piece of, this, this part of what myself, piece. this piece of my soul that like I, I do retain just for me. And it's, yeah. you know, I don't have to be only one thing or, you know, completely, completely like given to the cause or whatever. Yeah. I think I, I like that analogy because I think that happens for a lot of people. Like for mm-hmm. Caius, you know, he's, I think he starts out trying to be too separate. Maybe that's his arc, because mm-hmm. he's he's the he's Caius, but he's also the Dragon Prince. But he's also he's in love with Rose. But you know, how can you be at war with with her people and also be in love with her? And he doesn't really seem to be doing too much of like ending that war, right? Like maybe that's why Tanith came at him. But well, because because he doesn't want to end the war by slaughtering the Avacyn. He wants right. to end the war by like having an actual like peace. But the best they've been able to manage is kind of a truce, where for a hundred years they haven't really like had a battle. You know, they haven't like really gone head to head. But everyone knows like this isn't this isn't peace. This is a reprieve. And so mm-hmm. he like he he doesn't seem to be doing anything diplomatically. I guess like to end it, he's like, well. Because Rose, Rose, like her entire like purpose as a spy was to track down the Firebird and make sure that the Avacyn were the ones who ended up with it, not the Drakaran. And so because Rose genuinely believed in her mission and genuinely believed in the Firebird's existence, like that kind of per- persuaded him to believe it because he believed in her. And right. so um, he's kind of like, well, we have to find the Firebird, but nobody knows what it is or how to find it and so like instead of trying to use diplomacy or being willing to like slaughter all of the avacyn he's like spent a hundred years trying to like go through these back channels and like you know solve a mystery no one's ever been able to solve Mm -hmm. um so it kind of looks like he's doing nothing and to him he's doing like the only path that he can like accept walking but you know no one else like on his no side see it. i mean dorian like, didn't know well, yeah I mean, dorian exactly. was after but yeah he, i think he picked up dorian after rose but yeah it's it's i like that idea that it's it's all about the multiple the multiple pieces that make up a whole right mm-hmm. and 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 learning to navigate that and learning to like learning i mean yeah learning who you are it's coming of age but like for dorian it's like oh i'm i'm actually more than just you know dorian who who does what Caius tells him to do, right? And right. for for Rose, she was more than just a spy and she chose to not she chose to not have to choose between the two, right? Like cuz she knew right. she knew that it, she 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 had figured out what the firebird was because she decided to re like rehide it and set the set the path for the next she she mm-hmm. knew enough to know that she, it would be reincarnated. I don't um but yeah, that that takes us to to Echo, who's slowly realizing that her affinity and ability to track this this Firebird thing isn't isn't you know normal, quite normal. Right. Yeah. So I, I I think we should probably pause here and at least like mention what the Firebird is as a mythical creature because it it's not the same as 
the phoenix, which is the thing that like dies and gets reborn. Like the firebird is its own creature and you know, it has its own mythos. And so I think it's important to like differentiate that, but, mm-hmm. um, it, uh, and I, I mean, I, I don't know a whole lot about it. Like this is not like a retelling of the firebird fairy tale because there's not a specific like tale about the firebird. It's like, it's a mythical creature kind of like the way the Sphinx or the unicorn, you know, is a mythical creature. Like it, it has, um, these properties and shows up, you know, in certain tales, but it's not like there's, you know, it's not like Cinderella. Um, mm-hmm. so like that, that was cool because it left, um, it left, you know, gray really free to play with, you know, take the idea how she wanted and, and kind of play with it. Um, and so like the, the firebird is, it's almost like this power that can like in, like that will, take over a person's body and that you know person is the vessel um and so it has to be like unleashed in a certain way and like you know all these conditions have to be met and otherwise like the power simply like stays um like i guess potential but not embodied and passes to a new vessel when the old one dies um so rose was a vessel and she figured that out and she basically noped the fuck out and said, yep. I'm not doing it. I'm not making the sacrifice. And Echo is the next vessel and um, decides to make a different choice. <laughs> yeah. And I think that becomes a little bit like there are elements of the Phoenix in there, right? Because she, because it's right. like not only does she die and is reborn, right? It's like, it's more, but there's an idea that it has to be a choice. It has to be mm-hmm. a self-sacrifice. You don't just like accidentally die or get burned alive by your boyfriend's sister and then like right. come out, the you know, come out with these powers. And yeah, it's important to, to make the distinction. Like Echo is not the Firebird. Echo is the vessel for this force that is the Firebird. Yeah. And so um, the, the Firebird is a, it's a power that she may or may not be able to control that's a little ambiguous at the end of it but she's still like she's still separate from it right like in in a way like it's it's in her but it's not her Uh, and and one of the things that i really liked about these books because a lot you know a lot of times in ya there's a great effort made to be a little bit tidy like Mm -hmm. You know, to not do something, this is a buzzword, but to not do something that becomes problematic, right? <laughs> like you, right. it's like, I want everything to be consensual. I want everything to be the character's choice so that we are not left with anything that makes us feel uncomfortable, like two ribs are rubbing together and, and, and you know, in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I, and I love that this book isn't necessarily interested in that. It's like, okay. Let's be real about this. If mm-hmm. you found out, you know, that you were, it's like Jean Grey, right? It's like you have this power. You have been occupied by this celestial, uh, you know, crazy force. And it's important and it's needed or the world is going to end. But like, and you make that, I mean, you know, between a rock and a hard place. Sure. Okay. You're going to choose to, to, to embrace it, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to be neat. And mm-hmm. And she comes out at the end by accepting this ability. What she does is she unlocks um, this potential to to all the other all the other vessels, right? So like she, it's not it's not like it's a little bit like reincarnation, where it's like you can like sort of sense your past lives, or you know, it's like oh, I mm-hmm. like this toy. That I, what's the thing that they do to like the Dalai Lama, where it's like you like you picked up this toy, you must be <laughs> the next <Right. laughs> the next incarnation. So like Rose is in Echo somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And Echo's involved with Caius, and Caius was in love with Rose, and, and Rose he's... is like was in love with Caius and now she's in yeah. Echo's head talking to her. So it's kind of like is Ro- it, I just I remember put, the first time I read the book putting it down and being like, "Oh my god, I'm kind of uncomfortable." Like yeah. <laughs> I feel like Echo might be being ridden, you know? Like is this Echo? How much mm-hmm. of it is Echo? And then like kind of what I th- like is that it, it starts to make or at least the story starts to examine what that is. Like mm-hmm. it exists, it's uncomfortable. 
but how necessary is it to get rid of that that uncomfortableness like there are a lot of things about ourselves that are have been put here by our families by the expectations of others by ourselves by the way we thought our lives were going to go and didn't mm-hmm. our circumstances that like that just makes us who we are right and i yeah. like that echo she doesn't automatically go whoa i can't get involved with caius because that might not be my feelings right uh it's just kind of like, but I feel it, so it's gonna be real for me. I don't know. I like that. The it's it's ambiguous. It's it's uncomfortable. It's challenging. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it it's also um, I don't know, just something that's a little bit unusual. Like I I don't know that um, that I've never seen like that kind of you know, element played with. I mean, hell, I think there was, wasn't there a romantic comedy where, like, somebody got the dead wife's heart and then fell in love with the widowed husband and, you know, it's so, like, I know, I know, like, that idea of having an echo of, you know, previous love and, like, is this, like, mine or is this someone else's? And then in the end, does it matter, you know, if the feelings are, mm-hmm. are real? Like, does it, does it matter what started it? Because, I don't I don't know, there's also, like, the idea that love is kind of a choice, like, maybe, maybe, yeah. Maybe you don't choose for the feelings to start, but you certainly choose to honor them and to honor the person, you know, and to maintain like a relationship and to do the things that, you know, keep that love alive and fed and everything. Um, So, yeah, like it's just it's it's it is unusual and it's I don't know, like I, I, I appreciated it, too, because it wasn't. Um, because it wasn't just like the, the typical, you know, boy meets girl kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. It's like boy meets girl, girl gets murdered, girl meets boy, girl gets possessed possibly by a fraction of her former life. Boy still likes girl. Boy doesn't even know about the former girl that he used to love. He kind of just kind of likes this girl. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's messy. And I like, I like that kind of where it's just like, yeah, (laughs) like just make it messy and make it, make it interesting and make you feel something as a reader. It's not clear cut. And it, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a little bit uncomfortable to, to ask yourself, how do I feel about this? And I'll be honest, when I first read the book, I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. I think maybe I kind of don't like this. Like if this was me, I would question everything. And then, you know, mm-hmm. you read the other books and that it doesn't that doesn't go away like she deals with it. But the way that she deals with it, it's just like, oh, this is really. I I don't know. I, I was thinking about it. It's like, OK, well, reincarnation, the people that came before, like there are other vessels and there's evidence that there are other vessels that, you know, came before Rose that go back in time. It's like Buffy, you know, it's like mm-hmm. when she goes on like the vision quest and gets to talk to all the former slayers. It's like. It's not exactly like that, but you know, it's it's how it's what it's like. And <laughs> I, I also think it's 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 like your ancestors, like all the ans- you know, like everyone that came before you was like not pushing you towards anything specific, but their actions mm-hmm. and their lives do have an impact on you. Mm-hmm. Even if because you, the- you think I'm my own self, I choose my own name, I ran away from my family, I'm you know, I chose to be with the Avacyn, I'm Echo, I'm I'm what I call myself. It's like, but you're not. You're still the echo of everything that came before. Even if you chose your name and even if you ran away and chose your life, yeah. you're still an echo of what came before. And that's just powerful. I think, I don't know, it's a really great theme. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you don't you don't choose the patterns that are inflicted on you. Like, you can choose yeah. to recognize them and try to break them, you know, like, do the work to kind of rise above them you know if they're bad or to embrace them as like this is something good and something that I choose to continue and choose you know to pass on um you know beyond myself but like you don't get to choose the patterns that you're given like that's everybody mm-hmm. you know so and, and that's I don't know it, it's a very subtle way of saying that but that is kind of part of coming of age is like recognizing what are the patterns that you were given and choosing you know Am I mm-hmm. going to continue this or am I going to like break this cycle? And um, I mean, with Echo, it's it's more like blatant. I mean, as you you were kind of skirting around this, but I mean, it's in her name, you know, like yeah. she like she chose the name Echo for herself. But, you know, like how 
why why as a child did she choose that was that like some intuitive place like within her almost like feeling you know that that connection to the other vessels and knowing that they were in there you know already so yeah i like yeah i like the the breaking of a pattern or choosing a pattern because you know dorian and jasper are about ending that the cycle of distrust and you know Mm -hmm. accepting others and and ivy is there to not just be a doormat like she she helps people because that's what she vowed to do. I'm a healer. I want yeah. to heal people. I don't want to hurt people. Yeah, and but actually, the, like that's that that's, that's people worth do staying. take advantage of her. Yeah, mm-hmm. because, yeah, because like Ivy is not a weak character. Like, no. and she doesn't come across as like passive or you know a doormat. I mean, yes, she does get victimized because she you know the choices that she like makes to not you know be brutal in return but it is so clearly like a conscious choice that she's making that it's 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 coming from a place of power and it it, Mm -hmm. honestly it affects the people around her who see her say no i'm not going to be horrible to you even though you were awful to me i'm going to be better than that like it's like it's so powerful to watch and she's the same way with her friends like you know echo doesn't treat ivy that well at the very beginning she's ignoring her there's obviously evidence of a pattern of like a little bit of neglect Mm -hmm. and ivy doesn't and i i appreciate this because it's a thing i have a problem with is ivy doesn't choose to fight it she chooses to just like lead through example it's like okay Mm -hmm. but i'm still gonna be your friend and I'm yeah. still going to be there for you. And like that type of behavior modeling helps Echo be better later when she realizes things, you know, about mm-hmm. herself for her selfishness. And selfishness is like part of Echo. It's part of everyone. But her learning to be selfless and to make choices for other, you know, other than for herself is, is the Ivy helps her do that for sure. Right. Yeah, which I mean... Like, yeah, I, I mean, Ivy was, was a, char- a character that I related to kind of, for, you know, for the, the same reason. Like, it just, um, I, it's a choice that I try to make. I would rather, like, you know, be the change or, like, you know, I guess that's, like, the, the you know, mean way of putting it. But, like, I'm going <laughs> to be the, you know, be the person that, like, I want everyone else to be, too. And, mm-hmm. you know like some of that is like taking the high road and taking the ego hit or whatever. But if nobody does that, well then you get the situation with the Drakaran and the Abyssin where it's a, you know, brutal war. And the only answer is, you know, either one side annihilates the other or mutual destruction. And is that like any better? (laughs) You know? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's kind of the, the, the big, you know, the Lord of the Rings level conflict, right. Where it's like, right. Caius versus his versus Tanith because it's like he's chosen like well look you know the magic is dwindling it's not gonna get better like you can't Mm -hmm. like we're not gonna be dragons ever again and like you know we have to join the world and Tanith is like fuck you like we're not gonna do it like there are two sides to this and I'm going to just keep separating us separating us separating us until until we either have all of it or we there's nothing to have Mm -hmm. uh you know, and that feels a little on point right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, fantasy has always been, you know, an exercise in, in like, okay, well, let's talk about, like, humanity yeah. and, like, how we make decisions and how, you know, like, morality and how we move, how we move through different moral truths. Yeah, like, she what does are, what that. Are... I mean, it's YA and it's about you know, um, as Wendy Zoo would say, fucky bird people, but <laughs> it's like, you know, it's still, it's still, and it's fun and it's pleasurable to read, but Hey, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still sitting here talking to you for an hour about what it means to be an echo. And like, how does that work in this, yeah. in this story? It's powerful. I really, I'm really glad you liked it. Is there anything else that you want to talk about before we find out what our next book is going to be? Um, n- no, I I I feel pretty uh pretty complete with uh with that discussion. Um I mean the on- the only other thing like that might be 
like worth mentioning. I, I know we had talked about um, maybe trying to start adding recommendations for like other oh, yeah. you know, books that might be similar to this. Um, Do you have any other fucky bird books? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I. Uh, I mean the the only. The only recommendation I'm going to throw out, and like I mentioned it earlier, is just it's the Matthew Swift books, and that's not because they're similar books. It's just because they give you the same kind of like you will literally never look at your city the same way once you've been exposed to her magic system. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, in terms of, of of YA, like I honestly don't really I don't read enough within that genre to have you know a sense of like other books that might be similar um or anything like that so well you know it doesn't have to be uh, yeah i mean i don't read a lot of urban fantasy either uh well but you but you do read a lot of ya so maybe you have like i do read a lot of ya yeah like (laughs) if you if you like these then you'll you might like this ya you know stuff you could recommend i don't know yeah, well, I mean, I definitely recommend the other two books in this trilogy. Uh, the second book is called uh, The Shadow Hour, and the third book is The Savage Dawn. Um, th- especially if you're a Jaspian fan, there are some good <laughs> scenes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and, I, and I will interject. I, I would, I want to read the rest. I want to know the rest of the story. So they're, yeah. they're on my reading list for sure. And they stay thoughtful, and they stay, you know, like I know. I know with YA because of the way that these books come out, they generally the generally the general arc of YA trilogies is that the third book is always really weak. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of opinions about why that is, but uh, they stay strong, they stay thoughtful, the characters stay true. It doesn't fall apart. Like it, all the threads come back. Uh, she had a plan. You could tell. <laughs> um, so yeah, I do highly recommend. I do highly recommend uh, the other two books. Uh, I don't think I have anything. <sighs> yeah, urban fantasy is is hard. Yeah, I guess I'll just keep it at that, and then um, you can uh, take this time now to assign me my next book. Okay. Uh, well, what's it gonna be for for the next book? I'm actually gonna be. I'm going to be self-indulgent, but I know you'll indulge me. Um, Since I know that um, the Anne Leckie book um, is available and that you're reading it and I'm reading it, uh, we need to talk about it. So we'll be talking about Provenance next. Provenance, yeah. Uh, Provenance and like the uh, another one of those Imperial. Well, it's not it's not. So I started reading it. I'm probably not as far as you. It's def- um, it's not in the same like part of the universe of as the ancillary justice books, but it's in the universe. Yeah, so it's it's like a a different corner of the universe, completely new yeah. characters, and um yeah, I, I've started museum it. heist actually. So we go from one museum heist to the next. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually really uh see it it thematically on point, but that's pure. That, that's just like the universe saying, this is right. This is the right path, ladies. <laughs> this is right. It's the right path. All right. So uh, thank you for reading and enjoying The Girl at Midnight by Melissa Gray. And our next episode is going to be Provenance by Anne Leckie. Happy reading. Yay. Can't wait. <laughs> Yay. Bye. Bye.